Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. And guys, if you've been listening this entire season, you are almost to the finish line. About eight episodes ago, we decided that we were going to lay out the eight departments that are part of a winning hearth business, and today is the crown jewel. But to back up real quick, those eight departments in order are leadership, sales, installation, service, grounds and warehouse, support staff, showroom, and today's episode, marketing. Marketing is something that we specifically saved for last, and we're going to talk about why in the interview. But basically, if your business doesn't have those other pieces in place, in many cases, marketing won't help you, and it actually will hurt you sometimes, because you have to have a well-oiled machine before you put your foot on the gas and start trying to get more business. But in today's conversation, I'm excited for this to be the final thing we talk about, because... I wanted to leave a lasting impression. I truly believe that businesses all over in our industry are wasting tens of thousands of dollars in marketing if they're a retailer and hundreds of thousands of dollars or more if they're a manufacturer. I I believe that that's the truth. And I don't say that from a negative and, and pessimistic mindset. It's just the truth that a lot of what we do and pay for doesn't actually make anybody want to buy from us. And in today's conversation, what I'm excited to talk about is how do we take a thoughtful approach to marketing? How can we try to explain the problems that we solve better to our customers? And how do we stop wasting all this money? And if we know we're wasting the money, why don't we just not spend it? I mean, I think it'd be better for us to choose to not make those marketing spends than to continue to spend out of fear or out of trying to keep up with the Joneses. So we're going to dive into all of that today. You know, one thing that's kind of funny, I haven't done this yet, but I thought about asking folks to send me pieces of marketing, either that they've come up with or someone else has come up with, and I can try to, you know, give you a review of some kind of what works and and what, what doesn't. We haven't launched that yet, but after I got done with this conversation with Grant, I kind of think that we might do that in the future because this is an area that we really need to pay attention to. And I think that one of the mistakes, we're going to get into this in the conversation, is that we look at household names, companies like Coca-Cola and Pepsi, Mercedes, Snickers, and we get inspiration from the way that they do marketing. That's not all bad, but we try to go out and do marketing the same way, but the problem is we're not a household name. We don't have the budget to do what they do year after year after year and have any effect. Those are all brands whose name means something to consumers, and largely our company's names don't mean anything to consumers. So that means that we need to change the way that we do our marketing. Now, that's all that I'm going to preface right now for this conversation. I'm just going to tell you this episode, I'm pretty sure is going to set a record 
for longest episode of the Firetime podcast so far, but I felt like it was really important to have this in-depth discussion, and I'm excited for you to hear a story towards the end where Grant and I talk about a real-life case study of some marketing work that we did for his company that saved him thousands, but grew his sales exponentially on the back end. So with all that, we're going to jump into this conversation. And as always, we will circle back at the end and wrap it up. Joining me from Spokane, Washington is Grant Falco. Grant, this is the last episode in the series of our eight departments. It's crazy that we made it this far. Amazing. It's amazing. And what better to end it with marketing, some fun stuff to talk about. I know. I get excited about this. And as we laid these out, we purposely put marketing last. And I think the reason why is that marketing is very important and I believe in it. But if you don't have the other parts of your business lined up, marketing doesn't help you. And I would actually argue that it hurts you because at the very least, you waste a bunch of money. But at the most, your marketing actually works and you get people in, they have a bad experience and then they don't buy from you. I mean, I think that it's, it's just really important that we have the foundations of our business set up and then marketing is where our reach comes in to grow. I couldn't agree more, Tim. Okay. So as I thought about this, there's a lot of things that I want to cover with you. I think it's really important. But first off, when it comes to marketing in our industry, I think it's safe to say that most companies leave a lot to be desired, if I'm going to say it kindly. Yeah, I think that, that we just don't know. I think that uh, we listen to people that lead us astray. We maybe even have a gut feeling that we have the right answers, but truthfully, um, it's a, it's tough to navigate the, the right marketing for your retailer or for your, your own business and to know what the right decisions are, what the proper amount of money is, what digital marketing means. All those things are so difficult and we rely on a, a kind of a complacent, ancient ad agency to help us and and they really can't. You're right. And I want to go to ad agencies later on, but I think that as as we start this out, I want to just talk about what marketing is. So, I think that what marketing is is communicating the value that you offer to someone who has a problem. There's people out there all over the place who have a problem and you have solutions for it. And if you communicate yep. the value of your solution, that's marketing. And Donald Miller talks about this a lot. I mean, I think that the work he's doing with StoryBrand is, is incredible. And he talks about marketing is an investment where there's an expected return. That is what it is. So like if you have someone employed on your marketing team, their job is not to quote unquote do marketing. Their job is to make you money. That's what the job of marketing is. And very often we get lulled into, well, marketing is just something that I pay for, but it's not. And I think it's Henry Ford that said, you know, 50% of marketing is a waste of money. The problem is I just don't know which 50%. And that's kind of a funny joke. And, and there are some things that you can't measure. But in today's marketplace, you can measure almost anything. And there's no excuse for not knowing if 50% of your marketing is working or not. Like, there's visibility of all that. And I think that many business operators are so busy on the treadmill of their business that marketing is so foreign. It's, it's, it's hard. It's unfamiliar. It's scary. And so either they don't do it or I just pay somebody to, to figure it out for me and neither one of them works. 
Oh, I couldn't agree more. I kind of got to go back a little bit. Uh, and you, to- you, you covered a lot there, Tim. And speaking about the problem and the solution to the problem and a little bit of the story brand, it speaks to internal problems. And I think that's something to just kind of highlight. And when we're trying to solve problems, our product solves problems for the consumer. As a sales staff, of course, that's what we're there, we're there to do. We're there to sell products that solve their problems. And marketing can be a part of that. But you and I have talked a lot about just the, the, the internal problems that our customers go through, the struggles that they go through, the intimidation of shopping for a fireplace, making it easy, giving them the stones in the creek to, to cross the creek, giving them the path to completion and, and solving those internal problems. Understanding that consumer is going to have a hard time through your marketing is definitely something you have to consider and never done. Yeah. And I think that it's important and, and I don't want to go too negative at the beginning, but I think it's important to expose the problem. We don't know how to talk about our products. You know, we, we actually just had a conversation about this with a manufacturer that we don't know how to talk about what we sell. And we think that, I mean, we talked about it a million times in the podcast, BTUs and square footage and vertical termination. Non-catalytic. Non-catalytic, all these interesting systems. We think that they make a difference and that they solve customers' problems and they just don't. It's great that they exist and I'm not against any of those features, but that's not why people buy a fireplace. No one wakes up in the morning thinking like, man, I just really need a non-catalytic system for my house. No. It just doesn't exist. And, and I no. think that I was teaching a marketing course in... Um, Louisiana this last year at the HPB Expo. And I was talking to the group, and there's a group of, I don't know, 150, 200 people in the room. And I said, guys, let's, let's just do a brainstorming session. What are the problems that your customer is thinking about that our products solve? And people are going around in the room, and there's, there's different responses. And, and there was a lady that raised her hand, and I, I called on her. I said, what's the problem that our pro- products solve? And she says, my house is cold. And I said, yes. That's the problem that our products solve. And you don't have to get any more complicated than that in your marketing. My house is cold. We've got something that can keep you warm even in a power outage. That's your message. Stop right there. And obviously, you need to change your message based on the customer you're trying to reach. But I think our problem is that we get so close to it that we forget the entire reason why people look at our products because we're so worried about trying to prove that we've got more BTUs than the competitor or you know we've been in business two years longer than our competitor down the street. So we talk about these things that just don't matter to the consumer when they're in that stage of the journey trying to figure out if a fireplace could help them. Yeah, and I want to speak to that from my experience, Tim. I think that, that, that when you're responsible for a lot of different things within your company and marketing is one of them, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily overwhelming. And what we try to do is we try to, to cram a bunch of stuff into one advertisement. We try to be all things. We try, to, we try to get people in the door. We try to brand. We try to solve this problem, this problem, this problem, and everything all in this one advertisement when that's impossible. You just gave one version of a problem that we solve. But there's five or six, and we have to figure out when to play those in the right time, but they have to be separated out. They cannot be modge podge on financing, super sale. We solve this problem. We solve this problem. Come in now. It just can't be done that way. But we feel, because we don't have enough time, that we have to do this. And the ad agency, again, not to go negative, just doesn't help guide you in any better direction. So you do that. Well, you think about what's what's the ad agency paid to do? Sell you marketing. Yep. That's what they're paid to do. Now- I'm not saying that they're ill-willed, but I am saying that most of them are incompetent because 
They don't know your customer. They don't know your business. And so why are they writing the creative that's going to reach your customer? doesn't make any okay. sense, right? That's, not- incom- that's incompetent. What they're good at doing is looking at an ad spend and saying, hey, TV's cheap right now. Radio's cheap right now. That's what they're good at doing. Exactly. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll equate this to our business. We got into HVAC five or six years ago and you know, we're the new people on the block. So we used to talk about how we're learning the newest and latest, greatest ways to do HVAC. Everybody that comes to your house has been doing it for 30 years, but we believe they're complacent and have been going off what they've been doing for 30 years. So we're actually better because we're learning the latest and greatest. Every retailer has an opportunity if they just invest into Donna Miller's book to learn the latest and greatest way to do this. A simple question asking your ad agency what their philosophy is will tell you a lot about them. And I can tell you, they are that 30 30 years doing it, do it this way. This is the way it's always worked. And I'm sorry, Tim, Tim, things are changing. Yeah. Things are just changing. Marketing has changed. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and in some ways, like reaching the consumer, you know, they've always had a problem. We've always had a solution that doesn't change, but marketing has become so much about me, 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 not the consumer. It's become, well, you just set it and forget it. You just do your TV, you do your radio and we, we just can't fall prey to that. Well, and like you said, like how many ads are we hit with a day? How do you cut through the clutter in any different way if you're just doing it the standard, same old way everybody else is doing it, right? Yeah, yeah that's so good. Okay, so I want to talk about three principles of marketing that, that before we get into kind of the tactical, what do I do? Let's talk about some principles. So I think principle number one when it comes to marketing is know your audience. I think yeah. this is really important. And again, if you look at the companies in our industry, like, I mean, I feel like, Grant, you, you, you bear with me with a lot of this, but I feel like there's usually a couple times a month where you get a, a, a picture sent to you from me at like 1030 or 11 at night just being like, are you kidding me? What are they trying to say? Who are they trying to talk to? And you're always very gracious in your responses. But like, look through our industry magazines and look at the ads by manufacturers and ask the question, Okay, what's the purpose of this magazine? Who reads it? Do homeowners read it or do dealers read it? Okay, now if dealers read it, is this ad for a dealer to solve their problems or is it for a homeowner? And like it it makes me angry because of like there are tens of thousands of dollars being wasted in every single magazine in our industry. And it drives me crazy, not because the magazine is bad, but because the companies do not know who their customer is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. All the dealers are reading the magazine yet they are advertising to the end user and they're advertising to the end user in a way that makes sense to the dealers. Therefore us as dealers take that information and pass it to the user. Like they know what we're talking about and it doesn't work. Yeah. You got to know your audience. And I think whenever I work with companies on marketing stuff, we always talk about who are you after? We'll we'll tell a story a little bit later, Grant, about an exercise that me and you did. But man, like you've got to spend the time on who are you going after? Because it's not a one size fits all. We got to decide, you know, is this for women that are over Mm -hmm. 40 years old? Is this Mm -hmm. for young families with little kids? Like you have to understand who your audience is. And the next one, you have to understand what you want them to do. I think a lot of advertising, we we don't ask people to do anything, so they don't. Yeah, absolutely. I think going back to the audience, Tim, I feel like uh, it's 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 hard. It takes time to know who you're advertising to. When you ask yourself the question, it doesn't come to you right away. It's difficult, and taking that taking that step 
each time you put a piece of at, a piece of marketing out there really starts to clear it up. Once you make that step, it actually becomes easier as you do it. I understand it being difficult, but truly thinking about not necessarily completely knowing your audience, but really targeting who you are trying to market to in that ad, whether it's a flyer, whether it's a mailer, whether it's a TV ad, digital, really have to know what you're trying to get out of it and who you're trying to reach. Yeah. So with that, I think the next thing to think about is we need to understand the difference between branding and marketing. And there's a lot of different definitions here. I'm going back to Donald Miller's because I think it's the best. But basically, branding is when you get in front of a customer and you don't ask them for anything. The goal is just to get your company in front of them again and again and again. Branding is about how people feel when they see your logo, when they, when they go into your store. It's about how people feel. You're not asking them to do anything. You're trying to create this feeling so that over and over and over and over as you hit the customer with your branding, at some point there's top of mind awareness when they're in the market for your product. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's branding. It's not marketing. Marketing is when the customer has a problem, you have a solution, and you ask them to take action. And it's super important that we understand the difference between these because otherwise we end up with this weird marketing soup where we're kind of trying to tell them about a branding thing, but we have a sale going on and we sell fireplaces, but we've been around for 30 years, we do this, and then we don't ask the customer to do anything. We can't have marketing soup. We have to understand, is this a branding play where I'm not asking anything, I can't measure it, and I am hoping that as I hit them over and over and over and over again, at some point 10 years down the road, they're gonna think about me with top of mind awareness and feel a certain way. Or is this a marketing piece? I've got a sale coming up, I've got a great product that solves a problem, here's the ask and here's what you get out of it. Yeah, Tim, I mean, how much branding versus advertising should a retailer be doing? Here's what I think. I believe that our products are purchased so infrequently, our brands mean absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I would say even the biggest manufacturers in our industry, I'm going to say with the exception of one, and I'll let you think about who that is, should not pursue the branding play a bit with, with paid advertising. And the reason why is that our products are purchased every 20 years or when you buy a new house. I mean, this is not, we're not Coca-Cola or Pepsi where we are purchased all the time. We have a chance of becoming a household name. We cannot count on branding because, because the infrequency and the complexity of what we sell. Now, what I believe is that once someone has done business with you, that's when you start branding with them. So, so if, if, if I'm working for Falco's, um, you know, and Falco's, you do have a lot of repeat business with, with your grills and your fuel. But like, if I was in charge of your marketing, what I would do is I would spend a ton of time on branding every single customer that's ever purchased from you. Number one is cause it's cheaper free. I mean, I've got their email addresses. I've got their phone numbers. I know where they live. So there's all kinds of things I can do with email marketing, with sending random thank you cards, with all these different things that are going to grow my brand equity in their minds because they already know who they are and they're going to tell their friends, they're going to tell your family. That's so much better in my opinion than paying tons and tons and tons of money to try to gain brand equity with people who don't care about your products and will probably never buy it. Yeah. So you're not saying not to brand, but we as an industry and as retailers brand way too often because we're kind of just, we don't, we're not 
having a call tax. We're not necessarily having a method to our madness, but you're not saying don't do it at all. From what I'm hearing, you're saying focus on the rebranding, utilizing existing customers, people in your door, and trying through inexpensive ways to continually brand. So branding is still worth it, but not in the way that we maybe are doing it now. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that we should brand when it's cheaper free and when we're paying for it, we should do marketing. Yeah. And and people might cringe. Like I, I gave a presentation one time and someone came up to me afterwards and said, Tim, so it just sounds like you're against branding. And I said, no, but I am against spending a ton of money for something that won't give you a return. And I think the thing with branding, like if you look at Mercedes, I give this example when I, when I teach courses on marketing, Mercedes doesn't do hard and fast marketing. They, they don't say, Hey, we got a Memorial Day sale for Mercedes. Come on in and buy one. No one's buying a Mercedes because they saw an ad on Friday and it's Sunday. And well, you know what? I can save a thousand bucks. I'm just going to go buy a Mercedes. Mercedes believes that they need to have branding plays that make you feel a certain way about Mercedes. When you see the brand, when you see the good looking guy, when you see the good looking lady, when you see the nice watch he has or the suit or the dress with the car. Mercedes believes that they need to start you at age three seeing those ads to have a shot at selling you a Mercedes at 35. I don't have a problem with that. It works really, really well. The problem is Mercedes marketing budget is about $850 million a year, and they've got enough money that they can do that for 30 years. In your small business, you cannot do that. You, you don't have the money. You don't have the time. It just doesn't exist in our category, even for a manufacturer. So I think what we need to be thinking about is when we're paying for it, we really need to think about marketing. And that's a lot harder. Branding's easy. Hey, we've been around for 30 years. We got this great family in the picture. And again, I'm not against that. But that's going to cost you so much money and so much time to move the needle with your customers. And effectively, if you're doing advertising with call to action and, and solving problems, I mean, that is a form of branding in a way too, correct? It is in the sense that people will think about your company but the, I guess the fundamental difference is that in branding, you are asking the customer to feel a certain way, and in marketing, you're asking the customer to take action. And that's, that, and that's the fundamental that. difference, that and, and you really can't okay. do both. Get it. So it's important to realize the difference, and when you go into marketing, it's a lot harder because you've got to think about, well, okay, who's my customer? What's the problem that they have? Am I articulating a solution? And then what do I want them to do? And that's not just to set it and forget it. That means that like that message is going to change. Your, your value proposition might change. The problem that the customer has might change. Your call to action might change. And that means you got to pay a lot more attention to it. You can't yeah. just set it and forget it. Yep. I, can, I think that's why it's so difficult for us to get it right. We have a, a minimal amount of time. I mean, speaking for myself, I'm the operator of our company and I, I run each department. One of the departments is the marketing department to be very frank with you, that's the department that gets the least amount of attention up until this last year, simply because me and my staff were intimidated by it. Me and my staff didn't understand how much work it would actually take to really understand who we're marketing to. We're kind of in a flow now and getting better at it, but we're still figuring it out. It is extremely difficult and time consuming, but if done right, Tim, so worth it. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I think if we're, if we're thinking about these principles, number one, you need to know your audience. Number two, understand the difference between branding and marketing. One's not right, one's not wrong, but be very specific in, in, in any advertising or marketing play I make, which one of those am I doing? After that, 
I think that we can't make it about us. And this is where a lot of us fall prey is we make all of our marketing about us. We make ourselves the hero when we actually need to be the guide for our customers. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that um, it's difficult to understand what that means. And I think investing in understanding what that means and really trying to grasp that will dramatically help your, your mind and how you think to, to market for sure. Yeah. I think that when it comes to this, this has kind of been one of the main heartbeats of this podcast in general is that when things are all about us, it doesn't work very well. When, when, we, when we base our lives on serving other people and helping other people achieve what they need, generally speaking, stuff works out really well. And, and that's the way that we need to position our marketing. If you've ever been on a first date with someone and you show up at the restaurant and they only talk about themselves, they don't ask you anything about you, they don't care about your situation, all they're there to do is to talk about themselves. You're not going on a second date. And that's what happens with most of our marketing and advertising efforts. I mean, this is true for manufacturers to dealers and from dealers to their customers is that, great, I heard you vomit all over me about yourself for this 30-second TV ad. Or great, I'm looking at this stupid print ad in this magazine. Tell me how great you are. That's self-serving. It doesn't do anything for me. Yep. Doesn't, I mean, it's one of a million messages sent the same way as well. I think... Going back to your analogy on the first date, it's so true. And isn't life just its greatest blessing about giving, about making it about that other person? And so when you're talking about everybody wants to be the hero in their own story, when you're giving it away, when you're sharing, when you're making it about them and their solutions and their problems, it sticks out. It's so much more powerful, but yet still difficult to do. Yeah. And I think that we've all bought products that have been marketed to us that have solved our problems that have made our lives so much better. I mean, I can think about things that I've purchased. I've given this example. Like I've got this nomadic backpack that I love. I and I love it so much. I convinced you <laughs> I convinced you to buy a nomadic bag too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I was just, I mean, it's, as soon as you said that, I looked down and I was like, my nomadic bag. That's what I was going to bring up as my example. But little things like that, that they know what they, they knew what you needed, Tim. They were able to market that this was a one-stop shop uh, for a bag that covered co- had everything you needed, uh, all in safe, simple places, and uh, and had even extra things to boot to make travel and life a lot easier. So you're exactly right. And, and I loved buying it. I loved yeah. being marketed to it. They, they had this video that a friend sent me, and I watched it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, these guys understand me. They created this bag that can solve my problems. I'm always losing my stuff. I bought it, and I was super happy with it. And I told you, dude, you got to buy this thing. So I don't think marketing has to be manipulative. I think some people do make it manipulative, but I think it's very persuasive. If, if you truly have a solution to someone's problem and you don't make it about you, like, you know, Nomadic doesn't come in and say like, we make the best bags in the world and blah, 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 blah. They come in and say, we know that, you know, life on the go is tough and it's hard to make sure that you have everything that you need. Our bags are set up so that everything you need to take with you has a spot and you never lose it. That's the, a story about me. Now, that same story could be framed back to them, but I think that, that that's the important thing in our messaging is that we've got all these features and benefits, and that's terrific, but how do we present those in a way that makes the customer the hero, that doesn't say, yep. look how amazing we are, we got this, this, and this, and our competition doesn't. Instead, it says, hey, we understand that, that you're looking for a solution, and we created this for you. Here it is. We hope that it makes your life better. Yeah, no question. I mean, and, and how influential is Donald Builder in this for you, Tim? Oh, very. You know, so 10 years ago, 
when I was working for a different company, I came up with the slogan that we have to make it so stupidly easy to buy from us that there's no excuse not to. And I actually gave some presentations saying, never be the hero. Always make your customer the hero. Then probably two years later, I stumbled upon Donald Miller and I listened to his stuff with StoryBrand and I was just like, dude, this guy is articulating the things that have been burning inside of me and I haven't had words for. And, you know... I would hope that in some ways this podcast has done that for listeners. I know that we all have books that we read or people that we hear, but for me, yeah, uh, talking to Donald Miller and, and, and following his stuff in StoryBrand has definitely helped articulate the things that I knew were correct, yep. but I didn't always have words for. Yep, exactly. Okay, so we got these foundations of marketing, right? We've got, we need to know our audience. We have to understand the difference between branding and marketing. We can't make it about us. We need to make sure that we are the guide for our customers. Where I want to go next is to talk about just the landscape of marketing, traditional advertising versus digital marketing. And this is something that I think there's a lot of fear about. When I first started in the industry, I was working for my father-in-law, and we didn't do a ton with advertising and marketing, but basically, the radio guy would come in every month and say, hey, do you guys want to keep running the same ad? And my father-in-law would say, you know what? Let's trade stoves out for spas this time. And he'd go, all right, see you later, and walk out the door. I'm not saying that that was wrong at the time. There weren't all the same tools that were available now, but I think that we've largely relied on traditional means of you know, print, radio, and TV and we got to talk about what's the place for that and what's happening in the marketplace with digital marketing to disrupt. Well, 100%. And Tim, I think that there is, you know, me and my dad kind of go back and forth in what the right advertising mix is. And I think that's the key. I think it's kind of a mix at first and needs to be a little bit of both. And, and each company is going to be a little bit different. I think as long as you figure out what you're doing with your marketing and you're more intentional about it, I think traditional advertising can be more impactful than it is today. But really understanding digital marketing is, is the key for retailers. I think we're so intimidated on understanding what digital marketing actually is. And it's so much more simple, simpler than we actually believe it to be. But I think that there's a mixture of both that you eventually can use. And each situation is a little bit different. Just because tr- digital marketing seems to be the best way to go or, or maybe the best opportunity because of certain reasons that we'll talk about, it doesn't mean that traditional needs to get thrown out. And I just want to make sure that, that I'm clear with that. I agree with that. And actually, I'll tell you one thing I'm really hot on right now is targeted direct mail. I'm super, super hot on that. Like (laughs) we can, we can go down a rabbit hole with it, but yeah, I'm, I'm not against traditional. I'm just, I'm for what's effective. Exactly. I I gave a presentation on marketing a couple years ago for a uh, affiliate group. And one of the people kind of took me to task a little bit because I was beaten up on TV advertising a little bit. And, and I know for a fact that this company is monstrous and they you know, spend upwards of a million bucks a year in TV, just a monstrous, monstrous advertising budget there. And he kind of basically said, well, what do you, what, what do you say when, when you're a company and, and TV works? It sounds like you just think TV doesn't work. And I basically just asked him, how do you know it works? He couldn't give me an answer. You know, I mean, spending almost a million bucks a year. I've been inside the stores. Um, there's no tracking set up to figure out how people buy from you. There's like, he couldn't give me an answer on whether it's working or not. He just knows that he makes sales and they spend a bunch of money on TV. Again, it's not to beat up on TV or, or beat up on this company because they're very successful. But the question is, do we have to be spending that money? And I think that what is really difficult for me is that 
traditional advertising is being disrupted because with traditional advertising, a lot of the spends are bought for ego, not for effectiveness. So you, it feels really good to see yourself on TV. It feels really good to have that magazine print your ad in it. And, and when you open it up in front of your friends or your peers, you're right there. But that's very different from thinking about it as an investment. I mean, if this was, if this was your retirement money and it was all that you had, would you gamble it on a TV ad? Would you gamble it on a print ad? Maybe you would. And if you would and you're, you can prove it in your marketplace, amazing, do it. But if you wouldn't gamble all of that money on this without asking a lot of questions, then you probably shouldn't just be making these spends blind. Yeah, Tim, I think as retailers, again, I'm going to keep going back to this. As a person that just feels he has no time to spend on marketing, it's so difficult to get it right. And we're hit with all these different ways of doing it. And all we have to go off of is, does it make us feel good? We're not professionals. We've never done this before. I mean, I can speak from my experience. Like, that's how I would judge. I'd get an ad back. It'd be like, Falco's, Mega Sale, this and that. And be like, okay, I feel good based on what I know. And I yep. don't know anything. I think we really have to come up with what our criteria for successful marketing is. And then we can go back to, it's not about feeling. It's do they check the boxes that, we were, that we're talking about here? Yeah. And I think that what, what is cool with digital is that digital allows us to track everything. And you can track some with traditional. You know, you, when people come in, you can ask every single customer, how'd you hear about us? And you can get a, a sense of if your TV or your radio or your print is working. You can have calls to action within your TV or within your radio to go to this specific website for this deal, mention this coupon. So there are ways to track traditional advertising, but not with the level of precision that digital has. And, and that's causing a huge disruption. And what we're seeing now is traditional advertising companies becoming more and more desperate for money. And every single time I teach, I always ask people that do TV, I say, has your TV gotten more or less effective in the last 10 years? No one raises their hand for more effective. And I say, has it gotten more or less expensive? And every hand raises that it's more expensive and less effective. I've beaten up on TV a little bit and I'm not totally against TV, but generally speaking, that's what we're seeing. It's getting more expensive and it's getting less effective. And that's not a good investment. I mean, how do you target on TV? You target by population and TV viewing area. There's really not a lot you can target. You can target anything you want through digital marketing. You can come up with any way of targeting that specific customer so you can track and you can target. The thing that digital marketing allows through tracking and targeting is for you to get better at something you don't know how to do. Where's the baseline on TV? How do you know if you're getting better at it or worse at it? You just don't. But with digital marketing, you can have a campaign that runs. You can have it run in four to six different versions. You can see what version is the best. You can start using that version more often. Therefore, getting better at something because the data is there to share it with you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that just that ability to pivot is so powerful. And what I love about digital is that digital allows you to have a hard and fast cost per customer. And and TV and print, you you can do some of that. But with digital, there's no question. You can figure out the cost per customer. And what what is really important with that is, so a number of years ago, at when I was at Fireside, I was running marketing for our Oregon stores. And we spent virtually nothing on marketing. Like it was point, oh, zero, zero, two, five percent of our sales was on marketing. It was, it was basically nothing. And frankly, we underspent. We just did. And we had a guy come in. There was a really nice guy that wanted to sell us TV. And I took the meeting with him and I said, look, 
we do everything digital. We're really big on trying to track our results and I'm interested in TV, but you know, I just got to hear about it and, and find out if it's gonna be a good fit. So he goes through it. He wanted to run a campaign and it was a three month campaign that was going to cost $50,000. And I looked at that and I was like, Oh my gosh, like that's more than we've spent on anything ever in marketing in Oregon. Like we just, we haven't. And I looked at what our cost per customer was in digital and I basically told him, I don't remember what the exact number was, but I was like, so if we spend this with you, can we count on selling $950,000 worth of products based on this marketing spend? And he was just like, well, I mean, I, I mean, no, it's, I mean, cause it's, everybody's different and it's about branding. I mean, you're going to get people coming in for months afterwards because of the branding and you know, I, it's an unfair question to ask him because he doesn't know, but that's the way that I was thinking about it. It's like, if this is our cost per customer with digital, do we want to make this monstrous spend that we're never going to pay back, you know? And, and I think that that's really important to think about. No question. I think we, we, we defaulted to doing what we've always done in the TV world. So those of us that have done it for a long time, that's what we feel is best because it's what we've seen as, as what's worked. And I think from the ad agency, again, complacency has kind of taken over where that's always what they've done. They're going to do what's easiest for them. They have no philosophy behind it. It just comes down to doing it the same old way, which again, doesn't mean it hasn't worked great, but again, things are changing so fast and there is a better way to do it now. Just like I was talking about with the HVAC, there is better ways to install HVAC and to size HVAC than, than just taking measurements and saying, we're going to do like for like, there's just better ways. And on the, on the advertising side, digital marketing is incredible. Once you get into it and once you get over the intimidation of digital marketing is like, I mean, my ad agency actually said digital marketing is like a, a, a fad word and, and they were actually right. Uh, because digital marketing is, you know, digital marketing through YouTube, through Facebook, uh, through, uh, Google Instagram, pay-per-click keyword search that's digital marketing and and how you do it together it's intimidating but it's actually really simple and once you see the reporting that they send back to you if you can get with the right company that sends you what your cost per click is how how you're doing overall it's pretty amazing to see that you can actually get better at marketing knowing very little about it simply because digital marketing allows for that to happen yeah, you're absolutely right. So let's give some best practices when it comes to jumping into digital marketing. So if you were going to do digital marketing today, what do you think are the most effective ways to spend? Well, from my limited experience in the last few years, Tim, I definitely think Facebook is probably best ad spend as far as dollar amount and what you get in return. And it's because of the targetability and then the tracking, just like what we're talking about. I would say YouTube and Instagram are hugely powerful. YouTube's powerful. And when you're trying to get certain videos or certain messages across, I think YouTube's exceptional and you have to play in keyword. You have to play in search in order to be there because when people are searching for you, that's a targeted customer. That's the customer that you're earning for us. Basically just a customer coming through your door, just going to your website instead. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think Facebook is by far the best marketing spend. And for people that are intimidated about this, it's so easy. I mean, literally like you just create a, a business page, you can create an audience and you just target who do I want to reach? I mean, whether we like it or not, Facebook knows everything about you. Yep. So you can target within 10 miles of your showroom 
households that love remodel projects have an annual income of $150,000 and are between 40 and 65. Like you can be so targeted with this. And the beauty is that you only pay for your marketing when it works. Yeah. It's really, mean, really important. It's amazing, Tim. I mean, we, just through the last review, we're targeting wine enthusiasts and golfers yeah. because that is our target customer. And you would never have the ability to do that, but we can through digital marketing. Yeah. You know, I look at a lot of cost per click with Facebook and Google and different things like that for companies. And in a lot of markets, I mean, we're seeing Google clicks around five bucks a click to, to win and, you know, in the fireplace game where Facebook is like 60 cents. I mean, yeah. it is so cheap. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think when it comes to digital marketing, I believe that Facebook and Google are really the, the two powerhouses. I think Instagram's great, but the truth is that most people don't go on Instagram to buy fireplaces. I think barbecues is different. I think that you can definitely sell barbecues on Instagram with advertising. Fireplaces is a little bit tougher. But if you had to pick two to start with, do you think it's fair to say Facebook and Google is where you start? Yeah, yeah. And I think I give more credence to Instagram, Tim. Uh, I think I'm on it a little bit more yeah. and probably therefore see it. I think the stories in Instagram and the the advertisements that pop up in the stories in Instagram are hugely targeted. And I hate to say it, by like Warby Parker. I bought my glasses from Instagram story, Warby Parker advertising because it solved a problem. I could get five pairs of glasses sent to me of my choosing, pick one, then pay for it. So I think, yeah, Instagram, I would give a little bit more credence to YouTube a little bit more, but at the same time, if you're talking to 100% Facebook and Google. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say that those other ones aren't effective. I think they yeah. really are. But when it comes to Google, my belief is that you hire somebody for it. I think going rate is usually, you can find a company that will charge you between 10 and 20% of whatever your ad spend is to manage yeah. your funds, or maybe it'll be a flat rate. But with Google AdWords, I wouldn't manage it yourself. There's a million people that do a good job. You just got to work with them and pick the keywords and you set your budget of, you know, whatever, 500 bucks to 3000 bucks a month. And you can get a ton of traction out of that. Yeah. Um, yep. you know, and Facebook too, same thing, like 500 bucks a month, thousand bucks a month, 1500, whatever you want. I think a thousand bucks a month on Facebook advertising is unreal. I oh, mean, that's amazing. There's companies I'm seeing, and we haven't talked about this yet, but the thing with marketing is that you got to track how many leads you get out of it. How many phone calls did you get? How many leads? And I mean, we're seeing companies that are getting over a hundred plus leads a month from some pretty cost-effective digital spends. It's awesome. We'll get back to our conversation with Grant Falco in just one minute. Hey, if you've been listening to the podcast for the last couple of seasons, you've heard me talking about Wi-Fi. Now, the truth is that most small businesses in our industry have a sales process that's out of control. But the problem is the owners and managers don't know it. Well, Wi-Fi was designed to give you concrete tools that can focus and inspire your sales team so they can actually be more productive than ever. And this is something that we've discussed for a little while now on the podcast. What I'm going to say today, though, is that for the time being, we are no longer accepting new Wi-Fi customers. We've had a surge of people signing up, and right now we are at capacity. So if you're someone who's been thinking about Wi-Fi, it's going to be a little while before we can have you sign up. Now, you can still go to wifire.com and you can sign up for the waiting list that when we open registrations back up, you can be the first to know. 
But for the coming months, there are going to be no new registrations on Wi-Fi due to the influx that we've had. Now, if you're on the waiting list, when we open registration back up, there are going to be some unbelievable features that we're going to be rolling out for you. And while you're on the waiting list, I'm actually going to send you a video explaining everything that there is. So that way, when we open up registration again, you can hit the ground running. And so if you want to sign up for Wi-Fi in the future, you can put yourself on the waiting list for our next round of applications by going to wifire.com. When you talk about how to track leads, let's just talk about that real quick. Yeah. When you, so when you track leads, like, are you talking about, and I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you a few different ways. Are you talking about how you track it when customers come in or call in? Or are you talking about an advertisement having a landing page, getting that landing page, collecting that information and getting a lead through that way? Great question. And it's kind of both. Okay. So what the metrics that I want to track is when, when, when I run a, a digital ad, I want to know how many click to calls happened. So how many customers on their smartphone clicked the, the phone number and called? Cause that's a lead. I also want to know how many customers gave us information that we can then contact them and pursue a sale, whether it's a service call, a fireplace, a barbecue, a garage door, whatever it is that your company sells. Those are the metrics that I want to track. People randomly walking in the door, we would still ask about how they heard about us and we tracked all that, but we, I wouldn't count that as, that was like the icing on the cake. What I would count hard and fast is we made a spend and I need to know how many conversions I got from that spend, either calls or customers who gave us information. Yeah, I really like that. Great explanation. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we've talked to, man, big companies that don't track their leads, right? I mean, we've oh, yeah. had we've had people tell us that a lead is a customer going to a certain page on their website. And you saw me. I mean, I about came unglued because <laughs> I was like, I'm like, that's not a lead. No. Like, a lead well, is when they call you. So therefore you have their phone number or they give you information like just going to my website is not a lead. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, you have to measure it. And so like kind of separating out like you have a lead coming into the store and the sales staff helping them and asking them is kind of a soft lead. You're looking for hard leads. You're looking yep. for concrete information that I converted this customer because of this ad and that's successful and then measuring it and hopefully improving upon that over time. Yep, exactly. And, and that goes to the thing of, you know, if your marketing is working or not. Yeah. You know, I know that when I spend this much money, I can on average convert 5% or 10% or 30% of these customers into a lead. Now I've got a metric that I can try to improve. I know if I'm winning, I know if I'm losing and it's really important. Well, and your hard line, your hard lead is going to be the measurable, your soft lead is going to follow it. Like anything that you find out on the showroom floor is going to probably follow the, the, um, same direction as what your hard leads were. So go off the hard lead information and it will drive more sales into the showroom floor, obviously. Yeah. So I guess for anybody listening to this, I know we're talking about a lot of things, but what I would say big picture is measure the effectiveness of your marketing by how many leads you get. If you run a TV campaign, I'm not against that, but try to set something up specific, like a, a specific landing page to go to that has a form they can fill out that goes to your company. If you're running TV, ask every single person that comes in the door how they heard about you. And you really need to track how many leads you got because if you drop fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on running TV and you have ten people come in, that's an enormous cost per customer. And I'm sorry, I don't buy the branding play on TV because you know spending fifteen, twenty thousand dollars of TV. Well, that's a lot of money to us. It's a drop in the bucket. That means you're going to maybe hit a few people one time, and then you're never going to hit them again. 
It's not enough. To, it's not enough to build a brand where you've got top of mind awareness. If you're going to go the branding route, you got to hit them again and again and again and again. And if you're paying for something like TV or radio, that while it can be effective, it's so expensive, and you don't have enough time and money to brand. You've got to have a call to action. We know that this is your problem. We have a solution, and here's how you can take action. I love it. Okay, so I want to move on to get really practical, and I want to tell a story. So in the midst of the COVID crisis, Washington was hit super hard, and Washington was basically shut down for what, four weeks, five weeks? Yeah, we had our doors closed for five weeks. So a long time. Yeah, we were still open, but doors were closed. And my parents came to me and said, we want to send a community message. And they gave me some examples of some companies that had done it, but we wanted it to be about the community was their main focus. And they didn't feel like anybody had done it right. They just wanted us to do a message that was about the community. I had taken it to the ad agency and then they had brought back some things for us. So you called me and basically said, hey, my parents were thinking about this. The TV company came back with this advertising campaign and they wrote this copy and something feels weird about it. What do you think? And I read it. I don't remember what I said exactly. Wasn't good. Yeah, I think, I think, <laughs> I mean, when I read it, I was honestly disgusted. I was like, I, I can't, like, it's insulting that they would actually write this. And I mean, it's insulting that they would write this and send it to you and ask you to pay a bunch of money for it to go on TV. It was, it was really, really bad. And it was so self-serving. It was just dripping in just cheeseball corniness. And it was one of those things that it's going to be all over TV. Falco's is back. We're doing this, that, and the other. But I looked at it and I was just like, Grant, I mean, you can do this, but it's not going to make you any money. It might make everybody feel kind of good, but it's not going to make Falco's any money. And, and I think you knew that sending it to me. Yeah, I knew. I knew. So, I just wanted to hear what you had to say. I wanted to... I, I wanted to know if I was like, if I was so far off because I, I think as a retailer, we don't, I don't, not every retailer has a Tim to back him up and saying some <laughs> things that he doesn't have, you know, familiarity with. And so this company comes to me and they're a well-known ad agency in town. And through that, I respect them, but I'm reading this going, oh my gosh, like this is so far away from what I wanted. The, the true, the one thing I wanted was it to be about the community and small businesses in our community needing everybody's help. And I did not want it to be about us in any way, shape or form. And that was very clear yet in the first advertisement that they had of the three scripts they wrote, we had customers thanking Falco's for doing an amazing job for them. It just made no sense to me. And I'm not saying that's wrong at certain times, but it just wasn't right for what we were looking to do, especially given the time and what everybody was going through. Yeah, I mean, okay, you're gonna make me take the bait on this. So that's what I think about. You're in the middle of a pandemic. People are losing their jobs left and right. Businesses are shut down. The community's terrified. Half the people are furious. Half the people are just, they're, they're, they won't leave their houses. But that's the situation that this is in. And you really wanna have an ad where it's a customer saying, thank you, and another <laughs> customer saying, Thank you. And another customer saying, thank you, Falcos. And then Grant Falco comes on and says, uh, well, we've always been serving for 30 years and we're <laughs> ready to do it for 30 more. Oh Are you God, kidding that's me? Scary. Yeah, like, no. that's, that's what it was. That's what it was. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I don't want to, I, I, I don't, I didn't want to take the bait too much, but, <laughs> but that is not the message that a hurting and reeling community needs to hear. And so what, what we did is we, we had this idea that, okay, 
this TV ad was going to be super expensive. I mean, I think that by the time you do the production costs and the advertising for just one month, it was like 13 grand, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's a lot of money for one month. And I'm looking at this thinking, okay, number one, like it's not going to get in front of that many people. People just aren't watching as much TV, but when the month is over, that 13 grand is gone. You just put it in the paper shredder. So what if instead we could create something that lived on? And we thought about what's the message that the community needs to hear. And we spent some time talking and dude, to your like genuine heart, you were saying, I think that Falco's needs to be the guide to show the community what it means to rise up. And that was the heart of the message. Yeah. It wasn't easy to put together. I want to emphasize that, but it was, it was, uh, getting the message right was the most important thing. And we spent some time on it, Tim, but I think we, we truly knocked it out of the park and didn't not one time make it about Falco's. Yeah, it, so it was, it was about the community and supporting the community and it was evident and it was clear. Yep. So what the video was about is we started talking about, okay, people have lost their jobs all over the place. And essentially the video was saying, we know how hard the last eight weeks have been. People have lost loved ones. People have lost their income. And everybody is trying to figure out what the next steps look like. Well, Spokane is starting to open back up. And many of our friends and family who worked for these small businesses have the chance to go back to work. But as a community, we got to come around them and start supporting these small businesses so that our friends and family can stay employed and serve the people yep. who are in their, in their neighborhoods. Yep. So that was the message to the public. But what the video also did is the video had all kinds of shots of small businesses all over Spokane. And it presented Falco's as the guide to teach these small businesses how to operate in the midst of a pandemic. And it was really, really powerful. I mean, we probably spent an hour and a half writing up this script and really trying to think through who are we talking about? What does every single line need to say? And then we just decided, okay, if we're going to do this, we need this shot. We need this shot. We need this shot. We need this shot. And we put together a storyboard that you were able to take to an amazing videographer and create this unbelievable video that's got heart and passion. And, and I'll, I'll say it's a branding play. Yeah. It's not a marketing play. So it's, it's nope. a branding play. Yep. But it was the right time for that. That's, That's right. It in was a pandemic? Right yep. Dude, we're not talking about sales. We're not yep. like, no, this is a branding play. Yep. And you say lives on. Like we created Spokane Rises hashtag. And we have that hashtag being utilized by other Spokane businesses to support small companies. And it's amazing. One company, for example, is using it to coordinate jobs for people, coordinating uh businesses that have job openings with people that are looking for those jobs and using Spokane Rises hashtag. So it does live on. And when you say position yourself as the guide, I mean, the only thing we did that was really Falco's related was we used ourselves samples on how to handle this as a pan in this pandemic, how a company is supposed to handle this in a pandemic. And so by using ourselves as the examples, it positioned you as the guide. And we, we advertised to the public, but we got major kudos from all fellow business owners and more opportunities from anything that would have been about our customers thanking Falcos. Oh, I agree. I mean, I'm looking at this thing on Facebook right now. I mean, this video has got 115,000 plays. It's got 132 comments. I mean, you got people sharing it left and right. I mean, what's what's awesome with this is that 
the video had heart and you spent, I mean, significantly less money on, on creating this. You oh, were yeah. able for what, 1600 bucks to shoot this video plus two different barbecue commercials that could be used in the future. Yep. And then you were able to leverage some digital marketing dollars to get it out in front of people. But the video lives on. It's not a TV ad that disappears after a month. This thing has life to it. And I mean, talk about, so, so I want to hear the story about your banker. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to tell you a different story first. I just thought of something that was really that has to be mentioned, and just you have to be a business person and you have to see opportunity. So we were just talking about going to spend thirteen thousand dollars on this ad, right? That's what the that's what they positioned uh, proposed to us. So me and you put this Spokane Rises video together. Me and you then got really lucky because I found a videographer that just knocked it out of the park and made it just perfect, exactly what we wanted. And then I'm going to spend $4,500 on digital marketing, maybe, you know, a third to a half of what we were going to spend. But the thing that we didn't talk about earlier, Tim, is that I went to a manufacturer and said, do you want to be a part of this? This is a pretty special thing. I know it's outside the normal, normal scope of what you'd co-op. So let's think outside the box. How can you help me partner in this? And the supplier and distributor actually gave me a free $4,000 fireplace. So as soon as I, I've already sold that fireplace, I'm sure as soon as I sell that fireplace, that money goes directly to that fund. And, and really I'm out 1600 bucks overall. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I'm looking at this, this video, right? 115,000 views on Facebook, 75,000 on YouTube. And it gave you two more commercials that you were able to use through digital marketing platforms that had a call to action for barbecuing that you got a monster return on. And I think that what's really cool with this is that the Spokane Rises video, it was right. We knew the audience. We knew it was a community that was hurting. We knew that the message was correct for them. It was specifically a branding play. We were not trying to do marketing. Yeah. But we wanted something for businesses to rally around. We wanted to show small businesses all over so that a small business would watch it and say, I'm resharing this. I'm resharing this. 100%. That's me. Yep. We wanted to bring out the emotion that everybody was going through. We wanted to cultivate an emotion that created a movement. And I'm not saying this was a movement by any means, but you talked about our banker. Uh, we kind of have a newer banker. We're transitioning through the person that we deal with majority of the time and, and he's getting used to us. And he has some younger kids and they were watching YouTube videos before they were going to bed. And he said this video came on and he said he's normally going to skip like every time he like, it gets up and he skips yeah. it. And he goes, there's something about the voice. There was something about the music. And then all of a sudden I realized it's about Spokane. It's not a national. There's just something about it that made me listen. Then I'm seeing videos of Spokane small businesses. Then I actually realized it's you, my customer, where I was thinking this was a national advertisement by the way it was put together and the message it was sending. It was someone local. And now our bank's looking to partner with us on doing more small community support simply because we positioned ourselves as the guide of someone who's doing that. And it was a pretty amazing experience to hear that. Oh, I know. I mean, for every small business, they're looking to you now thinking, okay, Falco's is a business in town that knows how to do this. I mean, you're looked to as a leader. And again, this is the branding that works. Like you're going after targeted specific people and, and this Spokane Rises hashtag was about a community. But who's the leader of that community? It's Falcos. Well, I like to think that. It was hard for me. Like it was hard for me, Tim, to get in front of the camera. It was hard for me to use my own voice 
but I've never been so honored to do it given the feedback. People said the voice was right. People said that I should run for mayor of Spokane. I mean, legitimately, <laughs> people would say that. And I'm not saying I should. I'm not saying that I've done anything right. It goes to the messaging. And what people want to hear is it, it not being all about you. And that message just resonated with people. It was pretty special. Two last things. You showed the video to your TV ad agency. What'd they say? Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, I can't remember exactly. I remember they had some things. They wanted to create a call to action on it. They wanted to make it more more advertising-based, and I basically shot that down. Um, I think they liked it. The cooler part was I didn't tell my parents that we weren't going through the ad agency. (laughs) And so uh, you and I wrote the script. Then I hired a guy I've never hired to shoot the video and never told my parents. Then showed them the video and said, what do you think? And they were like, that is amazing. That is exact. Like, we can't believe you came up with that. And then I was like, oh yeah, that wasn't the ad agency. That was this. And this is probably the route we're going to go now. But that's what you got to do. I mean, sometimes in business, I mean, people, especially if they have a family business that they're kind of, you know, dealing with and they're coming up in, you kind of got to do things like that. Trust your gut. Uh, And it's really just been amazing experience that's taught us maybe the right way to do it a little bit faster, Tim. Yeah, I think so. And I want to talk about the return on investment as well, right? So we do this big branding play, and that's great. But there was an ROI, right? Talk about yeah. talk about what happened with the Fowler Group. Yeah, so like, I mean, the Fowler Group is a real estate company in town who has a great reach, and 75% of it comes from Instagram. And so uh, there's two things that happen from this. Our brand and message through the Spokane Rises video matched what they're trying to do, their brand and their message. They loved that it was about everything else. And that's who they are. Once I found them and once I was familiar with them, that's exactly who they are. So they saw value in what we were trying to do and then saw value in cross promoting with us. So they came to us and said they were thinking about doing a giveaway. They would love to do a giveaway. We have a giveaway program. If you do it through social media of certain things we expect and we'll split the the cost, not the retail, the cost with you. We did that. It was an amazing opportunity. They have close to 10,000 followers. We had only 1,400 followers. Social media is difficult for fireplace companies. Well, this giveaway alone increased our reach by 1,200 people. So we went from 1,400 actually to to 2,800. And then you always have about a 10% drop off on that giveaway retention, but 90% of them stay. And so that was huge. As as far as a return, that was a huge deal for marketing for us, uh, where we didn't have to pay anything other than that half a cost a unit. Also to add to that, I I mentioned this earlier, they created a hashtag and a a message that they wanted to continue Spokane Rises with getting employers and employees together on people that are looking for uh, job positions to fill and people that are looking for jobs. And it's cool to see our hashtag, the one we debated on going back and forth on what we were going to do, actually being used for the greater good. It's just, a, it's an amazing experience. Yeah, that's incredible. So what you did is the money that you saved, you invested into the Spokane Rises video and you were also able to film a couple of basically three minute barbecue commercials. Yeah. And the the funds were used for digital advertising. You were able to get these videos in front of people. And in the month of June, I think your girl sales were a little bit better this year than last year, right? 
Yeah. So uh, granted, we were closed all of April with our doors closed. And given COVID has created the demand for barbecue, I'm so grateful for. But uh, our, our barbecue sales doubled in June. <laughs> And it, I believe that the demand for barbecues is greater than it ever was. So I'm not saying all of that is dedicated to this, but some of it is. People received our message differently this year. We were able to speak to, I mean, the message was be the hero of the backyard and cook on something that's going to give you that. And that a, a gas grill, an inexpensive gas grill year after year is just not going to do it. And we did a really good job illustrating the emotion of what men go through when they fail at cooking at night or cooking at barbecue. And so, uh, we really spoke to them and showed our experience of cooking on the barbecues we have and how it's about the memories and moments. And so it was a, a totally different way of looking at it, but we utilized that videographer. I paid for a little bit more editing. So it's a little bit more than $1,600 overall, but we put together a father's day sale and a, a July 4th sale. And, and now in, in July, our, we're already surpassed our numbers for all of July last year by 10, 15%. So we anticipate a good 40 or 50% in the month of July as well. That's amazing. I love it. And again, the video lives on. You can use it yep. again and again and again. You didn't just flush the money away. So, no, oh, the, that's, the, that's the most amazing. I mean, if you can find a videographer that will sell you the material along with the price of shooting it, it's invaluable because you can use it year after year. Maybe not five years down the road. It might be outdated, but for two or three years, you can chop it up and use it differently. And that is hugely cost effective. Yeah. Okay. There's one more part of marketing that I want to talk about to close out here. And I know that we're kind of going all over, but we're bringing this to a head right now. When we talk about marketing, my belief is that it's about, it's about effectiveness, right? I mean, that the story there was you were presented an opportunity for TV that we didn't believe was going to be very effective. So we spent significantly less money and we created these videos that got you an unbelievable return on that investment and they live on. The last piece of marketing that I want to talk about today is email marketing. And this is something that not many companies in our industry are, are utilizing properly. But I believe that email marketing is single-handedly the best marketing today, period. And that's why I'm saving this for last. Now, I don't believe that sending generic email blasts to any email address you can find is effective. But if you've got a list of customers that have worked with you in the past, or you have a list of people that are interested in what you do... Sending them email campaigns is one of the best ways to get them to buy. Creating an automated campaign with emails that are very, very valuable, nurturing them through the stages of the sales process is some of the best work that you can do. And I know personally, I mean, I've, through the stuff that I do, I mean, I've sent probably tens of thousands of emails over the last year and a half to two years through Wi-Fi and everything else. And I believe it is just so effective because once you write the campaigns, it's free. You know, there's companies that I work with that have email lists of a lot of people. And when their service team is slow, they'll just, they'll just do it, write a campaign for a, for a service special. And all of a sudden they get 150 service calls on the schedule. I mean, that's out of this world. And the beauty is that the campaign, it lives on. So next year, you can just target a list and send it again and again and again. And what I see is, manufacturers are kind of dipping their toe in the water where if you download a coupon, maybe you get one email from them. Or if you, um, you know, submit to contact us, maybe there's one email saying, Hey, a local dealer will be in touch, but that's not good enough. What we need to do is we need to think about every stage of the customer journey and create targeted campaigns that are super valuable. 
the people need to get these emails and think, man, I'm glad they sent this to me. Now, they may not take action, but this is, I mean, this is how you win branding. You're hitting that customer again and again and again. And even if they delete it and delete it and delete it, your brand is in their mind every week, every month, every year, over and over and over. And all of a sudden, when they're in the market for your product, there's top of mind awareness. And I think that this is just a tool that's vastly underutilized. And it can be intimidating to try to learn email marketing. And people always think that, you know, customers aren't going to like it if I hit them again and again and again. But if you make your follow-up campaigns right, I mean, in most of the ones that that I do, there's less than a 3% unsubscribe rate. People Well, and and like you're saying, branding's worth it when it's inexpensive. Yes. And that is, I mean, like you said, they, they may delete it every time, but if they don't subscribe, you're still branding for free. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, so I think about this, this is low hanging fruit. So for any dealer that's listening, what I would do is compile all of your email addresses from the last however many years. And I would do a quarterly service special, figure out what it is, but a quarterly service special, you can segment the groups to where if they take action one quarter, they're off the list the next quarter, but run that on a quarterly basis. And I'm telling you, you're going to see your service business skyrocket. Yep. For customers who were in your showroom to get an estimate, build a follow-up campaign that's 10 to 20 emails deep and just nurture them into an in-home visit. Talk about why is it so valuable that a professional comes out to your house? What are the other things they need to understand about a fireplace? How is a fireplace able to raise their home value? And give a call to action to get in touch with you to schedule a visit in those emails. And I'm telling you, you're going to have people taking action on it because the truth is that no one else is doing it in your marketplace. And it's really, really powerful. If you're a manufacturer, you should have thousands and thousands of email addresses due to warranty uploads. And as a manufacturer, you need to be branding to those customers because it's free. This is where you win branding. They know your product and they've experienced it. They can tell your friends about it. Don't worry about getting an ad on you know, TV to reach all these random people that don't care about you, aren't in the market for your product. Instead, let's work on the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of customers that have bought from us in the past and let's market to them, win that brand awareness, and then they'll go tell their friends and family about it. Totally. I think there's probably a bunch of heads turned when you said that right there, because that really was an epiphany for me. I think about it from the retailer standpoint, you know, just because I am a retailer, but thinking about it from a distributor or a manufacturer supplier standpoint, wow, talk about low hanging fruit to constantly be rebranding yourself to that company and and top of mind. Maybe if you are doing that, they make a decision to replace their insert four years earlier. That's a benefit to us all. Oh my gosh. And if, and if you are a manufacturer and you partner with your A-level dealers, and if your A-level dealer can define their service area and the manufacturer does an email marketing campaign to their customers and says, hey, this company has an annual maintenance program that's going to increase the life of your fireplace and keep your family safe. There's reach that those dealers don't have. And there's some powerful, powerful synergy there. So totally. rounding back to the beginning, I, I mean, we can actually go into this too. I'm going to throw out an idea that just needs to be done. If you're a manufacturer or a company that has been selling fireplaces for a long time, you need to run direct mail advertising campaigns at your customers that bought built-in zero-clearance fireplaces on an outside wall out the back from 30 years ago. You know every single address. You know every single vent kit. Get with your manufacturer to get the addresses of all those people, and you need to run direct mail marketing every month for 12 months with a new special every single month. And I'm telling you, that is so effective. These are people 
They, you know the framing dimension. So you're not marketing fireplaces. You're marketing the model of fireplace that they need. You can post pricing on it because you know the situation. You know that they're your customer. You know that the fireplace needs to be replaced. That's a direct mail spin that I'm all in for, but it's not a one shot and then you're done. This is a once a month for 12 months. Yeah, I love it. All right. So we covered a lot of ground here. We talked about what is marketing. We talked about these pillars. We told the story about Spokane Rises, digital versus traditional. We talked about email marketing. Someone listening to this, I feel like is going to be like, man, Tim, like, okay, what do I do? And I think that this is what it comes down to. I think for me, number one is that if you're not going to be intentional with your marketing, don't do marketing. I mean, when, when we go into companies, Grant, with most companies, I truly believe that we could cut out 80 to 90% of their marketing spends, their business wouldn't change a bit. No, I totally agree. And I think really, like, even before that, Tim, they got to know what they've spent and what they've spent it on so that they can track and then understand what they're moving forward, you know, with and, and really understanding what they've utilized in the past and trying to cut that budget while maximizing it is truly is so important. I mean, when I took over marketing, I had to know what we've been doing in order to know how to get better at it. Yeah. And, and I guess to that point too, it sounds like I'm down on the marketing budget and I'm not, I'm just down on a marketing budget that doesn't work. The yeah. cool thing is once you start to fine tune your marketing budget, if you can find something that works, it's not a black hole, it's an investment. So you yeah. buy more of it, yep, right? Exactly. If, if I'm working with a company and we find that they're closing at a certain percentage and they can buy for underneath what their average cost per customer is and they've got installation capacity to handle it, you buy more. Yep. You, you buy more marketing because it's an investment that's paying you back. 100%. Okay. So number one, like you said, we, we've got to know where we've been, what we've spent on in the past. Next, we got to be intentional and just make the totally. honest decision that if I'm not going to be intentional, I'm not doing it. Once you've decided to be intentional, you brand where it's cheap or free. And when you're paying for it, you do marketing. You make an ask, you have a call to action, and you can track it. And at the end of your spend, you say, how many leads did we get? Of those leads, how many of them turned into sales? And you decide, was it worth doing or was it not? I mean, that's the play over and over and over. You analyze an opportunity, you make a marketing spend, you measure it, and then you do it again or you don't. That's the marketing play. And I think that all of this assumes that we have a message that connects with our customer. And I, I don't want to underscore that, but what I believe is that an advertising company doesn't know your customer better than you. And they don't know your business better than you. So do not outsource your message to anybody that's not within your company that intimately knows your customers. Now, if you come alongside someone, like I know StoryBrand has a bunch of certified guides from all across the country and they're unbelievable. If you come across someone that understands the way that messaging needs to work conceptually, then make them an advisor where you get in the war room for an hour, two hours, and you can talk about all the things that you do and they can repeat back to you how to frame those in a way that positions yourself as the guide. But you can't just outsource your message entirely to somebody else, no matter how good they are, unless they have a deep and intimate understanding of your company. I love it, Tim. That's so good. Awesome, man. Well, this conversation has been really fun for me. You can tell that I get passionate about this stuff. You know, when in doubt, I would truly say don't spend. You're never going to regret not spending money. Don't let fear or coercion 
make you spend more than you think that you should. You just got to think about it. Be intentional. And I will tell you that for most hearth retailers, you can do marketing for very, very little a year. So I hope this has been helpful for you guys. Marketing is the crown jewel on the eight departments. And once you've got these departments in place, when you've got the right message, when you know what you're asking your customer to do and you're able to measure it, man, that's powerful. And that's when your business starts to hum. So I hope this conversation has been a blessing for everybody listening to it. Grant, I'm telling you, you have been the man. I appreciate all your wisdom in these episodes. Well, Tim, I appreciate that. I mean, you've pulled it out of me and I just appreciate the relationship we have and how it's transpired has been amazing. Truly going through these eight podcast segments was so much fun. It just, there's so much value in what we all do and it's just fun to share it and fun to talk about it. So thank you, Tim. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm just thinking back to that, that trip to Minneapolis was about a year ago. It's crazy to think that we, I mean, I just remember on the plane, we outlined the eight departments. We came up with probably five to 10 tools for every single one that we were actively using. So maybe at some point that's the next step is getting all these well, tools out in the marketplace. There's, there's enough tools to do this whole thing again, truth, truthfully, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, we could do it all again, talk about totally other, other factors in relation to the same department and still have full podcasts. So yeah, there's a lot to talk about. It was fun to do it. I think these eight segments were something special and just proud to be a part of it. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I hope you got as much value out of that conversation as I did. As I was going back and editing it, I just, I loved it. And I guess I'm biased. I get passionate about marketing, but I think that these concepts are really, really important. We have to think about marketing as an ROI. We don't pay people to do marketing, quote unquote. We pay people to make our company money because of the things that they tell consumers. And that's really important. If you're someone who manages a big company, the truth is that many people in your marketing department may actually not want to know whether the marketing works or doesn't work. In a lot of cases, people are after protecting their jobs, not growing the company. And this is something that if we're going to get really tactical about marketing and we want to start to measure it and figure out what's working and what's not, we have to lose the ego of, I might be wrong. There might be some stuff that I try that just doesn't work. I think that that's really, really important to think about. We talked about a lot of things today, and I know that the conversation went in many directions, but I think as we round everything down, this is what I would leave you with. When it comes to marketing, I think there's four principles that we have to understand. Number one is we have to know our customer. If we don't know who our customer is, then it doesn't matter what we say because it's not going to be relevant to them. Once we know who our customer is, number two is that we have to understand their problem. We might know that we're going after 45-year-old soccer moms, but if we don't actually think through and understand the pain points that they have in their lives, our messages won't make sense. Donna Miller says that if you can articulate your customer's problem better than they can, they will assume you have the answer. I think that's the truth. We have to be able to understand our customer's problem. Number three, we articulate a solution. We understand their problem and now we clearly state what the solution to that problem is and how their life is better after working with us. And then number four, tell them what you want them to do. If you can do those four things, you're going to become a great marketer. Seriously, know your customer, 
understand their problem, articulate a solution, and tell them what you want them to do. If you think about your advertising spends, your marketing campaigns, whatever you're going to be doing and trying to reach a customer, if you can think about it this way, it will focus your message and make it wildly more successful than just ad hoc throwing something out there because it looks good to you. Now, earlier in the conversation, we mentioned the video that Grant and I made, and that's actually going to be in the show notes. If you click on the show notes for this episode, you'll be able to click that link and watch his Spokane Rises video. And what I really like about this is it's kind of a sneak attack. As far as the community goes, it's a branding play. There's not a call to action for the community necessarily. It's a branding play for Falcos. And over time, as that's viewed over and over and over again and sent to existing customers, it reinforces the brand identity that they have for who Falcos is and what they stand for. But there actually is a marketing edge to this in that we are targeting small business owners and asking them to reshare the video and to start using the hashtag. And that's actually a marketing play. We are asking them to do something. And what has happened, as Grant talked about, is since then, small businesses have taken action. They've started to win jobs and networking opportunities because of the marketing that was done for other small business owners in this video. So that's an example I'm going to point out to you, but I'd love to get your feedback on that video. The last thing that I'm going to say before we sign off is that next week is our question and answer episode, and we have covered a lot of ground in this season. I mean, I'm thinking back to the first conversation that I had at Expo with Steven Schroeder from Napoleon and Grant. That was in New Orleans, and that feels like a lifetime ago. There's been a lot that's happened since then. If you have questions about anything that's happened so far in the podcast this season, and in particular, the last eight episodes about these eight departments, you can send them in to tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at itsfiretime.com, and we will answer those next week. The last thing I'll say is that if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire time. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. The contributions that you guys are making on a monthly basis are helping us to begin to outsource some of the administrative duties of the podcast so that we can keep the level of content as high as possible and deliver even more value in the future. So with that, you've got the eight departments that you need to put in place to grow your hearth business. And my challenge would be to go back and listen to these episodes two, three, four times, send them to the key people in your companies who are in these departments and think about what can we start to do? What's one or two or three things that we can take away from each episode that each of us individually in our departments can go to work on to create the best business possible. Remember, we're here to serve our team members and our customers, and that doesn't happen when a business flies by the seat of their pants and operates in the Wild West. So I'm just going to tell you, I know that you have what it takes to take control of your business and step things up to the next level. It's time to get off the treadmill. It's time to build a business that lives and exists for something beyond yourself. I know that you can do it. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. 
The music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all into